uh, at the corner building. Uh, and if you don't aren't familiar with the corner building, it sits right on the corner of Muskegon Avenue and Third Street. Uh, the address is 280 Muskegon Avenue, and it sits right next door to the large uh, stone Methodist, Central United Methodist Church building, um, where Kids Food Basket is, or if you knew where the Red Cross was, it's all in that block, kind of over by Hackley Park. That's where we meet every Sunday from 5 to 7, and it is actually now every Sunday there at uh, the corner building. We were for a while having to go back and forth between here and there. Uh, because there was another uh, group that was meeting in the spa same space that we were meeting every other week, and so we were kind of doing this alternating thing with them. Um, but they have graciously uh, offered to move for, for us so that we can be there every week. Uh, part of that was initiated because of our first Parents' Night Out event that we did uh, this past weekend, where... Uh, we invited our neighbors to come and drop their kids off for just a, a night out for the parents and a fun night for the kids. Uh, we're doing those on the first Sunday of, of every month, and so we had our first one as part of every 12th uh, this last weekend, and uh, our next one is coming up on May 1st. Uh, but that started us being able to meet there every Sunday, so, so that's pretty exciting. We're excited about that. That makes it much easier for us to communicate who we are and where we are and when we're meeting and all those things. Um, I did just mention our next Parents' Night Out thing is coming up uh, on May 1st, and I wanted to mention that for a couple of reasons. One, if you want to come and volunteer to be a part of that, we'd love to have you be a part of that. Uh, two, we'd love for you to be praying about that. Uh, three, if you have kids and want them to participate in that while you take the night off, uh, we'd love for that to be an opportunity uh, for you as well. We, so we, we want you to know that uh, that is not just for our Nelson neighborhood neighbors. That's for, for you guys as well. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. Another event that we have coming up next month is we are doing a neighborhood, a free neighborhood night of worship. Uh, just a free uh, concert that we're putting on on May 14th, uh, Saturday, May 14th at 6 o'clock. Uh, again, there at the corner building, we've got... Um, uh, a couple of performers coming in, Chandler and Maria, uh, are coming in to perform for us for that, and it should just be a fun night of, of celebration and worship and prayer, and, and we're excited about that, and we're inviting the neighborhood to that as well, uh, but we'd love for you guys to, to be there and participate and get to know our neighbors and get to know us and, and have a fun night of worship as well. So mark that date uh, on your calendar as well, and I'll continue to keep you informed about what we're doing and how things are going, and, and actually our website is getting ready to launch this week. Um, so that'll be another way to stay informed uh, on what's going on at Reed's Church. So, exciting stuff. Um, all right, enough about that. Today is uh, Palm Sunday. Jim has already mentioned a couple of, of words uh, like Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Holy Week. Um, not to leave out Monday, Thursday or Holy Monday or Holy Tuesday or Spy Wednesday or... Um, you're laughing, but all those are actually things on the Christian calendar. Um, uh, this Palm Sunday marks uh, the first Sunday of Holy Week. Holy Week is one of the most sacred weeks of the, of the Christian calendar because it marks the final week of Jesus' life here on earth um, and, and his earthly ministry. And Palm Sunday is the first Sunday of that week. Uh, it's also known as... His triumphal entry 
uh, because today is the day that Jesus triumphantly entered into the city of Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. Uh, during the, the week that followed, um, you have uh, Holy Monday and Holy Tuesday and Holy Wednesday. All kinds of things happen during those days. Wednesday is also known as Spy Wednesday because Wednesday was the day that Judas conspired with the Pharisees to betray Jesus. Uh, Thursday, you had the, the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus was, and his disciples were traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and that took place on Thursday. We know as Monday Thursday, um, where the, he and the disciples had the, the last supper, what we now know as the Last Supper. Friday is Good Friday, and that always throws me off because we call it Good Friday, and yet on Friday, the things that took place was that Jesus was betrayed, uh, he, was, he was arrested, he was beaten, he was persecuted, he was crucified, he, he died, and he was buried, all on, on Good Friday. But all that leads up to, obviously, his resurrection on Easter Sunday. Um, which we celebrate. And so we're going to talk about Palm Sunday today. And as I was preparing for this service, um, for this message, I went through several iterations. I could have gone all kinds of different directions. Um, but uh, God kept bringing me back to what I want to talk to you about today. And that is, I want to talk to you about promises. Promises fulfilled, promises kept, and promises broken. Who here has been hurt by a broken promise? Who here has had somebody promise them something and then not fallen through on that promise and then had to deal with the hurt and the suffering that came from that broken promise? Has anybody experienced that? I'm sure we all have. I want to start by sharing a story with you um, from my childhood, an opportunity to get to know me a little bit better. It may explain a few things about me. Uh, but back when I was a kid, uh, I'm going to guess I was about probably 12 or 13 years old. My family and I went on this epic vacation, right? It was my parents, I don't know what wedding anniversary it was, but it was their wedding anniversary, and we were essentially recreating the vacation that they took for their honeymoon. Um, now, you may automatically think we were headed someplace tropical. I, I assure you we were not, um, my parents were different parents. When my parents went on their honeymoon, uh, they packed up a car with a pup tent, an army pup tent, and they headed west. And they hit all the national parks, all the way out to California. Uh, they took the northern route on the way out and then took the southern route on the way back. And in addition to uh, the national parks, they hit Vegas. Um, and so that's what we were, we were doing, only this time we didn't have a pup tent, we had a pop-up camper, and we were headed west. Uh, for the majority of the summer, my dad was a teacher and my mom worked at the church, so we had the summer. Uh, and so this trip was like four or five weeks long, we headed west. But I had, I had seen pictures of, of my parents' honeymoon, I had, I had uh, heard the stories, not all the pictures, um, thankfully, uh, but I had seen the... I'd seen pictures, I'd heard stories of all the adventures that they had, and so I was excited for this trip. And, and the thing that I was probably most excited for was the opportunity to see bears in their natural wild habitat. Because when my parents were at Yellowstone, 
there were bears everywhere. And I've seen pictures of like bears on the hood of their car. And you know, you've seen all these pictures and, and I'd seen videos, of like just the bears everywhere. And I was so excited. I'd seen bears in the zoo, right? But that's not the same, is it? Like when you got this two foot thick glass in between then the, the trench and, and the bears are way over. I was ready to see some bears in real life. And so that was probably the thing I was most excited about. And so we're on this journey west, and as you're getting, has anybody ever gone out west like that before, hit some of those parks? All right, so you know what I'm talking about. As you get further out there, you start to pass by uh, signs and billboards for these tourist trap, like, bear parks, right? Because the, the locals know that that's one of the things that's on everybody's bucket list is to see these bears. And so uh, some entrepreneurial people have set up these bear parks where you can pay to, to drive through this enclosure, more or less, where they've got bears placed in, in these enclosures. And you can drive through and see the bears in their natural environment. And I was like, so excited to see the bears that when I started seeing the signs for these parks, I started begging my parents to... Can we go through one of these parks? Can we, can we drive through one of these? And they were like, no, we're not going to. We've already paid for our reservation at Yellowstone. Like, that's the real deal. There's going to be bears everywhere. We're going to see plenty of bears. We're not paying to go through these sideshow parks. Just be patient. They're like, I promise it will be worth the wait. I promise you will see bears when we get to Yellowstone. What my parents didn't realize is that in the, I don't know, 20 or so years it had been since they had last been to Yellowstone, all the good park rangers at Yellowstone had since taken care of the bear problem at Yellowstone. All the bears that had had human contact and had become accustomed to eating human food had either died off or they had been removed from the park. So the only bears that had that remained at Yellowstone were bears that had never had human contact or had never eaten human food before. And so at this point, bear sightings in, in the park are a pretty rare occurrence. And they, keep, they do a pretty good job of keeping the bears uh, in the wilderness and the humans uh, in, in specific areas, and they keep the two apart from each other. So when we got to Yellowstone, all I saw were bison. There were bison everywhere, blocking the roads, and they no longer had bear signs up, like don't feed the bears. They had don't pet the bison signs up, which seems like a stupid sign to have to have up. But those were the signs that they had up because people would get out of their cars and try to get up next to a bison and get a selfie with the bison, and then the bison would uh, gore the person and flatten them. And, I mean, these things were bigger than our our car, and they would try, so anyway, not a single bear, so the entire week that we spent at Yellowstone, I didn't see a single bear, and not only did I not see a single bear at Yellowstone, in our entire trip west, I saw no bears, not a single one, I was crushed, I still hold that over my parents to today, and if they were here today, they would be shaking their heads, yes, because I have not forgiven them for that. That's a, another story, another lesson in itself. Now, I know that that may be a fairly humorous story when it comes to the hurt that comes along 
with a broken promise. And I wish I could tell you that there was a way for you to never have to deal with that hurt again. There is coming a time when we won't. Right? There is coming a time because God promises us that in heaven there will be no hurt. There will be no broken promises. And so that time is coming. But for now, God tells us that we have to love our neighbors. That we have to love each other. And to love someone requires that you open yourself up to the hurt that comes along with that. Because we're all broken. And we all make mistakes. And we all break promises. And we have to deal with the hurt and the frustration that comes with that. And it is backwards and as confusing as that may be at times. It is all part of God's plan. And God's plan is perfect. It always is. The good news is, is that the God that we worship, the God who we love, the God that loves us so much, is a God who never breaks promises. Our God is a God who fulfills promises. God has never made a promise he hasn't kept. There is never a promise that God makes that he will not fulfill. And I want you to hold on to that this morning. I want you to rest in that truth this morning, that God is a God who fulfills promises. He doesn't break them. Let's dive into Palm Sunday with that thought in mind. I'm going to start by just reading through the scripture. Palm, so actually, I want to, before, I, before I get there, um, I, w- I want to give you some context because I think context is important. It helps us to understand what's happening. Um, it, it'll help us to understand what's happening here in uh, the mess- in this verses about Palm Sunday, but it also help us to understand uh, this entire Holy Week and our Good Friday service that's coming up on Friday and, and ultimately Easter um, when we get to Easter too. Um, so let's start with some context. Uh, the Israelite nation, right? Even before Israel was a nation, Israel has a history. If, you, if you've read much of the Old Testament, um, you've heard the Bible stories. Israel is a nation that has a history of, of, of drawing close to God, right? Israel is God's chosen people. The Jews are God's chosen people. And so uh, Israel has a history of drawing close to God and receiving blessing and drifting away from God, right? And, and, uh, and, and then drawing back close to God and then drifting away from him again. And even before Israel was a nation, this was the kind of the pattern that they, that they went through. You know, they were uh, rescued. God rescued them from the Egyptians in Egypt and brought them out and had promised them uh, 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 to, to make them a nation in the promised land. And he promised to take them there. But in the meantime, they drifted. And so he made them wander in the, in the wilderness for a while um, until they came back to him. And, and then he brought them into the promised land. And then they drifted again. And he made them a nation, but they drifted again. And so uh, Israel was sent into exile. And, uh, and then they came back close to him and cried out for him. And, and, 
And so he brought them back out of ex exile and back to Israel again and reestablished them as a nation. And then they drifted again and he, he sent them into exile. And so Israel, the nation of Israel has spent uh, several periods of time in exile away from his country, its country and then brought back again. Or they've spent several periods of time where they've been in Israel, but they've been in um, they've been occupied by another country. And so uh, this this the city of Jerusalem, where uh, where Palm Sunday takes place and the events that follow in the week, the city of Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel, right? And in the center of of the city of Jerusalem was the temple. And the temple captured the heart of the city, it captured the heart of the nation, it captured the heart of the people. And, uh, but, the, but, but the problem here is, is that about a hundred years earlier, Rome had captured Israel, the nation of Israel. So Israel was under Roman occupation, and, and the city of Jerusalem was under Roman rule. And so for the last hundred years, the, the Jews had been uh, uh, persecuted and they had been tormented and there was hatred and animosity between the Roman government and the Jews. And, but they knew that God had promised uh, a, a savior and at some point uh, a kingdom that would be established forever. And so that was the hope that they were holding on to. And the city of Jerusalem, this temple that was located at the center of it, if you were a Jewish male, when it came time for Passover, which is the season that, that we're approaching here in this story, when it came time for Passover, you were required to travel from wherever you were to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So here, at the beginning of our story of Palm Sunday, we have Jewish men coming from all over the place, converging on the city of Jerusalem. So the, the population in the city is, is growing exponentially. Think, think like Times Square on New Year's Eve or, or the city of New Orleans for Mardi Gras or, or Grand Haven for Coast Guard Festival, right? None of us want to go there because of how terrible the traffic is and the bridge and, and everything else, right? Uh, you know, but you, you know what I'm talking about, and, and multiply that, uh, you know, a hundred times, and you might come close to what we're talking about here. So the city is just bustling with people. It's bursting with, with people, and there's excitement in the air, and there's electricity in the air because, um, because they're getting ready for this celebration, this Passover celebration. Um, and there's people from all over the place coming to, to celebrate this thing. And add to that, just a week prior to Palm Sunday, this guy named Jesus uh, in the city of Bethany, which is just a couple miles outside of the city of Jerusalem, had raised Lazarus from the dead. So this amazing thing has just taken place a week prior and so news of that is buzzing around the air because that was one of the signs for this person who was supposed to be the king and come and establish this new kingdom. And so there's talk about that going on within this Jewish community. 
because this happened just a week ago and, and just outside of the city, this, this took place. And so you got that going on in the mix of all of this too. And it's in that context that Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem. So keep that context in mind as we talk through the events that, that follow. The, 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 the event of the triumphal entry is recorded in actually all four of the Gospels, which makes it actually pretty unique in that sense. There are hundreds of different events that are recorded in the Gospel, in, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about Jesus' birth, his earthly ministry, his death, and his resurrection. There, there are hundreds of different things, but there are very few that are actually recorded in all four Gospels. I think something like eight events of everything that Jesus did in his life and his earthly ministry. There are like eight things that are recorded in all four Gospels, and Palm Sunday is one of those things. So it's pretty unique in that sense. And each Gospel account is a little bit different, and each Gospel account um, includes some different details. And not that anyone contradicts each other, because we know there aren't any contradictions in Scripture, but each one paints a slightly different picture from a different perspective. But the, the account in Matthew is perhaps the, the, the fullest account. And so that's what I want us to read through together this morning. That's where we're going to uh, park. So the account of Palm Sunday, of, of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, takes place in the book of Matthew in chapter 21 verses 1 through 11. So if you want to get your Bibles out or your devices or whatever and follow along uh, as we read. I'm reading from the ESV version. Um, if anyone else is reading from anything else, you're reading the wrong version. Uh, no, that's not true. You just, yours just might not sound exactly like mine. Um, so here it is, verse 1, chapter 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them, uh, excuse me, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them. On the road. That's how we get the name Palm Sunday. They cut down palm branches and laid them on the road. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. And the crowds that went before him and that, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, from Nazareth of Galilee. So there you've got the account of Palm Sunday. 
And I want to dive back through this account because there are some interesting, there's a couple of interesting things that take place uh, that I think are important when it comes to this idea that we worship a God who keeps his promises. And so what I want to do is, is jump back into this and unpack those couple of things. So jump back with me now to, to verse 1. Verse 1, if we go back, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, Jesus came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives. Then, <clears throat> then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, The Lord is in need of them, and he will send them at once. Now this, this caught me for a minute because Jesus has just spent his entire earthly ministry walking every place, right? In any story or account you read of Jesus, he is walking from one place to the next with his disciples. Or maybe taking a boat because he's got to cross from one side of, of the sea to the other, right? So every now and then you see Jesus in a boat. Other than that, Jesus is on foot. And here, just two miles, less than two miles outside of his final destination, Jesus says, hold up. Somebody go get me a donkey. You're going to go find, you'll, you'll find a donkey just in the next village up. Go get that donkey and bring it back because I want to be riding this thing when we, when we get to Jerusalem. What? Why does Jesus need a donkey? Right? He's God. He, you know, he's not tired. Why, why does Jesus need a donkey now? Verse 4 tells us, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. You see, God had made a promise 500 years before this event took place that this is how the Messiah would enter into Jerusalem. Has it ever felt kind of cliche when someone says, God is a God who keeps his promises? It's okay. It's okay to feel that way. I have felt that way. Right? That's a Christian thing to say. Right? When somebody's hurting, you know, we say, you know, don't hurt. God keeps his promises. It'll be okay. We say it so much, it's almost, it's almost come, become cliche. Like it's just something that we say to make people feel good. Has anyone felt that way? I know I have, and sometimes I even hate to say it because, because it sounds cliche. And, and I, I want to help this person out that's hurting, or I want to make this point that I'm trying to make. But the truth is, it's not cliche. 
it's not just something that we say. It's truth. And God proves it over and over and over and over and over again. There are, over, there are hundreds of prophecies in Old Testament scripture about what is getting ready to take place right now. There are hundreds of prophecies throughout Old Testament scripture that point to the birth of Jesus Christ, that point to his earthly ministry, that point to what his earthly ministry is going to be about, that point to this moment right here where Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, that point to how he's going to die, how he's going to be betrayed, and how he's going to rise again. There are literally hundreds of prophecies of scripture in Old Testament scripture that point to this moment right here, right now. And I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Zechariah. Chapter 9, verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In Matthew 21, where it references that Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt took place to fulfill what the prophet had said. It's talking about this verse right here in Zechariah, which was written 500 years before this event took place. This wasn't written after the fact. It wasn't written after everybody knew what was going to happen and how Jesus was going to enter into Jerusalem. It's how Jesus knew that the cult was going to be there and that the disciples would probably be questioned. And if they just said, hey, the Lord needs this, that the owner of the donkey would go, yeah, hey, yeah, go ahead. It was part of the plan. It was part of the promise that God had already made. And now Jesus was fulfilling it. I pulled just a, a few more of those pieces of prophecy out from Old, Te Old Testament Scripture that I wanted to read, read with you just to, just to drive this point home, if, if nothing else. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Obviously, that points to the virgin birth of Jesus. Again, hundreds of years before. Isaiah 53. All of this chapter, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but all of this chapter is prophecy. But I'm going to point specifically from verse 3 to verse 7 this morning. He was despised. And rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from 
whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All will be like sh- all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. It's a pretty pretty graphic depiction of what takes place on Good Friday. Again, written hundreds of years before any of this took place. The other one I want to point out to you is also from Isaiah chapter 9. This is probably a familiar one. Verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and for forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our God is a God who keeps his promises, every single one. Now, it may not take place quite the way we anticipated it to, but he keeps every single one, which brings me back to Matthew. Because the second thing that takes place that I think is a little off is that picking up in verse 6, it says, The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. They put their their coats on the donkey for Jesus, and Jesus sat on the coats. Um, Most of the crowd that spread, most of their crowd spread their cloaks on the road and, and Others cut branches. So as Jesus is coming into the city, you have the crowd that was with him, and you have the crowd that was in front of him. They were all taking off their cloaks, their cloaks, their coats, and they were laying them down on the ground. And, and those that didn't have or those that had already laid their cloaks on the ground were also cutting down branches to lay in front of Jesus as he made his way into the city. And you might think, that's a really weird thing to do. Why would, was it muddy? Why would they have done this? Um, but if you are familiar with the culture, this was a normal thing to do for a people who were honoring 
a king, a victorious king coming into their city. This was a way to show honor and respect to a victorious king. And it had happened a number of different times. Actually, there's a, another account in Scripture of people doing this for another king who was entering into the city. But this was a, a, a normal cultural thing as a way to honor a king who, who was claiming victory. This was a right reaction for Jesus because as Jesus was coming into the city, he was claiming victory. Christ was victorious. He was about to be crucified and ultimately have victory over death by being risen from the grave and ascending to heaven and giving us victory over death by sacrificing himself to offer us salvation. Christ was victorious. And so this was an absolute right response by the people to honor and worship.